We're in the middle of a series that we're doing in the book of Daniel called Unshakable, and uh, where we're in the, really the first six chapters, and, and this week we're in chapter three, so right, we're at the halfway point of our series kind of in a way, I guess you'd say, but not of the book, we're about a quarter way into the book, and uh, Daniel divides up into a couple of different ways, you've got the first six chapters um, that are really narrative and, and really speak to kind of how to live life, um, how to live a godly life in um, an ungodly culture. And then the rest of the book is, is very focused on prophecy, on dreams and visions, and some of that uh, for, that was, that's, applies obviously still today in the future, and some of that was stuff that was going on back then. And so we're really focusing on the narrative portions um, in, this, in this series over these weeks. And today, uh, we're going to talk about unshakable faith, right? And so let me ask you. Um, I don't want you to actually respond out loud, but I want you to think about it. Um, maybe it'd be good if you responded out loud. I don't know. Shake things up a little bit. But um, have you ever had your faith rattled? You know, maybe you've been a Christian for years. Maybe you've been a Christian since you were seven or eight years old. But have you ever had a moment in your life uh, where, man, things just kind of got shaky, right? And you had to make some decisions about, are you going to trust God through this or not? Is God who you think he is? Um, do you believe this stuff that you, that you say you believe? And, you've, and you kind of were shaken up a little bit. Um, we all probably have in various ways. There, life has a way of doing that, right? We, 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 while we stand on solid ground, if you're a Christian in Christ this morning, the world around us is constantly quaking with trials and difficulty and temptations and all these sort of things. And life has a way to make you think straight lines are curvy and clear things are fuzzy and it kind of can play tricks on you. And, um, and if we're not careful, we can kind of get rattled. We can get shaken a little bit in our Christian life. And I, I liken it to kind of, I like sports analogies and just, that's just, you know, one of my hobbies is following sports. And, and I, th- I think about, I like, one of the things I like about sports is I like to the the, the, the observe the big stage, right? So if it's baseball, like the World Series, or if it's basketball, it's like a championship game, or the Super Bowl, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, whatever. You know, all these things, um, the big stage, right? And seeing people perform on the big stage. And so it's, it's impressive, right? So if Super Bowl coming up, for a quarterback to stand in there with, you know, 30 seconds to go, his team down six or seven points, and 30 third down and 15 and just deliver just a strike, right? It's it, for a touchdown. It's impressive when we see, um, even, even on, a, on another level, like a golfer with millions of dollars on the line, you know, stand up with millions watching and millions on the line, knock one down the middle, get it on the green, and then go up there and just, you know, sink the putt with, you know, $3 million on the line. So all those things are impressive, right? The nerves it takes or whatever. But if you've watched sports enough, you don't always go like that, Right? So sometimes you're watching a football game and you can tell the quarterback is rattled and he begins to make decisions that he would not normally make and throw the football places where he normally would not ever throw it and it's like it's all in his head, right? And he's not, he's not performing up to his normal expectations. Same way with a pitcher in baseball and a golfer, baseball player, whatever, um, same way, a, a three-point shooter that can't make a three all of a sudden and they're just doing crazy things. Um, I remember uh, years ago there was a very famous, uh, it's, a, it's a very famous um, incident that happened in college basketball where I forget who Michigan was playing, but this was back in like the late 90s where Michigan was playing somebody, somebody probably remembers this, in the Final Four, and they were out of timeouts, and the ball was going out of bounds, and I think it was Chris Weber, a great basketball player at the time, grabs the ball, and before he goes out of bounds, he calls timeout. Well, he don't have a timeout, right? But man, it's crunch time, nervous, right? You forget all this pressure. Well, it cost them because it was like a technical foul and ends up costing them the game and all this sort of stuff. When, when we're rattled, sometimes we make decisions that we normally wouldn't make. So there, there's, there's really, even in the Christian life, it's incredibly important that we're able to keep our composure and stay, and stay focused on what really matters 
when everything around us, the pressure around us is telling us, take our eyes off the Lord, to take our eyes off the will of God, take our eyes off what we know our priorities are supposed to be and put them somewhere else because that's what pressure does, whether it's in sports or whether it's at work or whether it's in the Christian life. Pressure makes you want to get rattled, right? And so how can we have unshakable faith? Well, This story, Daniel chapter 3, is one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, one of the most famous stories in all the Old Testament. If you grew up in church, you know this story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace, right? You heard it as a kid. It's just one of those stories, but it's an incredible picture of unshakable faith when the pressure was really, really on. And you know, if you're a Christian this morning, the moment you became a Christian, you got three new enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of these present opportunities for your faith um, to be rattled. So we have to decide daily how we're going to stand in a broken and sinful world, how we're going to live out our faith with boldness and courage, how we're not going to give in to our flesh that's weak, how we're not going to buckle before the world that's pressuring us, how we're not going to allow ourselves to be distracted by um, the attack of our enemy. How do we do this? And now Daniel has a word for us about this here in Daniel chapter 3. It's just a great picture. So I want us to look at this story with fresh eyes, and I want us to see how they give us a picture of how we can live lives of unshakable faith when everything else around us is shaking, how we can have courage and boldness in our faith as we go forward. So look with me, starting in verse 1, Daniel chapter 3. It's on the screen for you also. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image of the, of, that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So let's pause. The first thing we're going to see this morning here about unshakable faith is that living in a sinful world presents challenges to our faith, right? Uh, That's what they're being faced with. Living in a broken, sinful world presents challenges to our faith. So here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put in a challenging situation. 
And the first thing people do when they read this story is they ask, well, where's Daniel? Right? He's like the, I mean, the book's called Daniel, the book of Daniel, right? We've, we've learned all about Daniel in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And last time we saw these three guys, Daniel was with them. So, so where's Daniel? Well, it's mo- we can't say with certainty, but it's most likely because when you see in chapter 2, ends off with Daniel getting this, this promotion. And then, and then it goes into chapter 3. The, the writer's probably trying to show us something here that Daniel is probably um, either on, away on a special mission for the king or, and this is kind of what I lean towards, I believe Daniel was so powerful at that time so close to the king at that time, so important to the king at that time, and actually his job was actually kind of like in the king's house, that nobody would have made this kind of accusation about Daniel. Um, Daniel was really, was, he, he was very favored by the king because Daniel had a unique ability that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not have, and that was to what? Interpret dreams, right? And so the, they, they, I don't think they could have made this kind of, I don't think they could have threw Daniel under the bus like they threw these three guys. And so, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here they are, they're under the bus, and when you look at the story, you know, the, the thing that stands out to us is this big statue, this big, awkwardly shaped, ginormous statue. And scholars say it's unlikely that it's a statue of the king. Um, sometimes people think it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and it could have been, but it was very unusual for kings at, at, in that time in this area to, to, to do that. And so it would mo- most likely be a statue of one of the idols of Babylon. And, but it was in every way very symbolic of the king, of his kingdom, and of Babylonian culture. It was a representation of allegiance to the king. And so it's an incredible symbol of loyalty in his mind. The idea that nothing is to be more important, that nothing is to be more weighty in their life than the king and his kingdom, than Babylon. And really what we see here is a picture of straight up idolatry, right? Uh, it's an idol that's been set up and they are being forced, commanded to worship the idol. And no, no, it doesn't matter. They, all the peoples, and it says all the nations and all the languages. What are they saying when they say that? Whatever language you speak, there's no excuse. You are to bow down, but you're going to know you're supposed to bow down before this king. You're not going to be able to go and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. Everybody has to bow before this image. Doesn't matter what your culture is, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter who you say your God is, you're going to bow before this image or you're going to find yourself in a furnace full of fire. What this is, it's a time of national unity around idolatry is what's taking place here. And there's... In this picture, both a challenge of temptation and a challenge of trial, right? And that's what our lives are filled with, right? We go through trials and difficult and painful times, and we go through temptations. Sometimes you get tempted while you're in the trial. But there's trials and there's temptation, and both of those are at uh, at play here. The temptation for these guys is if they would just bow, they could go on about their life. Just bow the knee, get it over with. No, I mean, you know, I mean, how many people, you know, okay, we'll just, boom, it's over. That's the temptation, no harm, no furnace. The temptation is you fall in line with the idol of the culture so that you don't make your life more difficult. And it's an alluring temptation. You know, some people today would say, well, I can just repent later, right? I'll go back to my prayer closet and tell God I'm sorry. But they understood there was a lot on the line here. And so there's a real temptation at at stake here, but there's also, it's also a trial. It's also a trial. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have some people here who are malicious towards them. You see that, right? It's those Jews, the ones you promoted. Right? So these are the guys that didn't get the promotion, most likely. And they're very uh, upset. And in their mind, these guys who they've been abducted from another country, 
And they view these people as less than them. Let's just, let's just put it clear. They view it as less. I mean, you're not, Babel, you're not from Babylon. We, we brought you in, right? We made you, you belong to us now. And now they have risen up into positions of authority and positions of power. So they want to take them out. So they're going through this trial of malicious accusation, enemies coming against them, jealousy. So they're being targeted unfairly for their religion even. And there's a trial here that they're being pressured to capitulate to the culture and there's a trial here that there is a hot and ready furnace for them and they're staring death in the face. So there's temptation and there's trial testing their faith and, and this is the Christian life. Temptation to sin, trials of difficulty and suffering, we call this Sunday through Saturday. This is how we live the Christian life in the midst of trials and suffering and temptation and all these different things and it's what they had to deal with in this day too on a much obviously big grand scale here and every single one of us face a temptation every day of will we allow our hearts to bow to the idols of our culture or will we only bow to our king who gets our allegiance right who gets our heart who gets our obedience and our culture has idols right there's no big golden statue that anybody's commanding you to bow before but let me tell you our culture will pressure you to bow before the idols of power and pleasure and comfort and security and achievement and success and romance and influence. And here's the big one and, and probably the chief idol of our country, personal freedom. All right? The most offensive thing you can do in our country, in our culture, is to tell someone that there are certain things you should not do, right? That your personal freedom, that, that there's limits to it. That, you, that you're accountable to God and there's actually a right and a wrong. And you can't just do whatever you want to do before God. So we live in a culture where there's this pressure. Pressure to bow before our own idols. And a temptation to give in to some of these idols. We have a culture that hates to be told that it's wrong. And so we're tempted, we're tempted to, we're tempted at various times to bow into the idol of personal freedom or comfort or security or power at the expense of obeying God's will. Sure we are. How many of us are tempted to not be so gung-ho for Jesus so as to not be labeled by our neighbors or our coworkers? How many of us want to go to church but not be seen as too churchy, right? We want to be Christian but not too Christian, Right? We hope certain conversations don't even come up. In fact, some are abandoning biblical values and principles so as to not bring a stigma on themselves. It's golden statue moments. It's the bowing of the knee before a cultural idol when it gets to a place where it's going to cost you too much. Like our friends here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we must be willing to endure any trial that comes our way. Any trial that comes our way. People are not going to like us sometimes. People are going to gossip and slander about us. There are a few people in life that from time or another may even be out to get you. That happens in life. Living in this world is going to bring trials of various types, fires like unfair criticism, mocking of your faith, pressures to conform, penalties for making a stand for Christ. And through it all, we're called to have unshakable faith. But these challenges are there. So how did they deal with this, right? Here's, they, we see their challenge. We recognize our challenge. Well, let's go on with the story. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, 
O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Let's stop there. Second thing we learn here about unshakable faith is unshakable faith is fueled by confidence in God's sovereign plans. We see this here. They are brought before the furious king and given one more shot, right? To bow before the idol. Notice the king challenges God. You, you catch that? What God is going to deliver you out of my hand? He's kind of drawing a line in the sand here. He's kind of going, you know, face to face with God here. Who, who, who's God that he can do this? And you say, well, man, what a ostentatious thing. What a crazy thing for Nebuchadnezzar to say. And you're absolutely right. But understand Nebuchadnezzar for a moment. He's used to being more powerful than his God. He, worship God, he worships gods that are represented by symbols that they carve out of their hands. I mean, he's more powerful than the idols of their country. Dead, useless, fake, phony things. But here now, he's, he's dealing with the real God. <laughs> the real God. Notice the unshakable faith they show in the scene. It's fueled by their confidence in God their confidence in his sovereign plan. It's not empty faith, it's a confident faith. It's rooted in something very real. They believed in the reality of their God. They believed in the power of their God. They believed in the sovereign control of their God and they are trusting that God's plan, whatever it is, you can tell by the way they say this here in verses 17 and 18, they just trust that God's plan is best even if God's plan doesn't feel best in the moment. See, they knew something. They knew God was able and they knew God was authoritative. Right, they say, our God is able to deliver us, O king. See, they had confidence that if God so decided that he could keep them safe. They knew God was in charge. And he says, they, he will deliver us, but if not, right? So they're speaking with confidence. And the way that's translated, it could actually be translated a couple of different ways. And it could be that they're saying one way or the other, we're going to get delivered out of your hands. If we're going to go be with God, <laughs> this suffering's not going to last forever. Or maybe they're just speaking with some confident expectation, but they temper that with, but if not, the point is, God, not the king, is ultimately going to decide our fate. Uh, you've got some power, but you don't have it, kind of like Jesus said to Pilate, you've got some power, but you wouldn't have any power if it hadn't been given to you by God. 
So they understood who was really in control, who really had authority, that they served a God who's able. And we have to understand that. We have to understand that when we face these situations that that our God can deliver, that our God does deliver, that our God works, he moves and he answers prayer and that he has authority over everything in our life. There's, There's nothing that escapes God's sovereign authority. God and not the world and not a ruler and not your friends and not your parents or your spouse or your boss. God gets the final say in all things. He's able and he's authoritative. And so in the light of that, they trusted God's plan. They say, but if not, we're still not going to bow. E- even if it means we're going into the fire and he's not going to deliver us, we're still not going to bow. Well, why, why not? Well, first of all, God and not the king and not the idol was worthy of their worship. And that, whether or not they got spared from this situation did not change the worth of God. Did not change. God, who God is was not being affected by their circumstance. <laughs> See, we, we're, we're, we, get, we struggle with that sometimes if we're not careful. Uh, that's, what, that's what the world, that's what the flesh, that's what the devil wants us to believe is that somehow when our circumstances change, that it begins to change how we view God. That wasn't going to happen for them. They were saying, you know what, no matter what, we're not going to bow. Only God's worthy of our worship. And the cost made no difference. Only God was worthy of worship and ultimate allegiance. Didn't matter what the cost was for worshiping him and giving him total allegiance. But they, but they had to be confident that God's plan is greater too greater than what they could understand at the moment. His plan may be to deliver them from this situation, and what they're saying here is it may, it may be to let it happen. Either way, we're just going to trust God here because God's not just able and God's not just authoritative. Our God is good. I think they understood that. And when you believe God is able and that he's authoritative over all things and that he's good, there's really zero reason to not trust God and to not trust his plans, whatever they may be, that he has a sovereign plan that he's working in my life and in your life and in our world. I mean, we have to, we have to trust his plan. And if we're going to live with unshakable faith that doesn't flinch in trial or temptation, we've got to have confidence in, this, in his plan, his, that he's able, that he's authoritative, and that he's good, and that I can trust him. And really what this is about is surrender. It's about surrender of control. Think about it. The moment they chose not to bow, things are out of their hands. Think about that. Up until that moment, they've still got control. I can hit a knee at any moment. All this goes away, right? But the moment they hit the knee the second time, it's out of their hands. So they, it's in the, and then it's like, well, what's, what's God going to allow to happen, right? That's, what, that's a picture of surrender or control. That, that's what it really comes down to. When you're talking about trusting God and his plans and him directing your life, it's really, a, it's about surrender. You want a picture of surrender? When I was thinking of this week about this, what's a good picture of surrender? Surgery. Surgery, right? I mean, and we, we avoid, you know, you're, you're laid out on the table, you're, you're unconscious, and you're in the hands of the surgeon, right? And it's one of those things where we don't do that unless what? We have to, and then they have to drug us. You know, so it's like, I mean, we avoid that at all costs, right? It's like, what's my other options? But it's a picture of absolute surrender. And, you know, the funny thing about us is you tell us your life's on the line. Trust this stranger with the knife. And we're like, okay, right? But it's like, trust God's plan. And we're like, I need your references, right? It's like we we struggle more with trusting God sometimes than we do trusting people who are fallible. And you want to know, well, what's surrender? Surrender is this, glad obedience at all costs. That's surrender. See, there's no such thing as, well, I'm surrendered to the Lord and whatever he wants. Not if we're not obeying him. 
Now, sometimes, you know, the Bible doesn't use the word surrender really a lot. You don't see that. We, that's our vernacular, but and it helps us to understand some things. The Bible uses words like trust and obey and faith and obedience. Glad obedience is surrender. Glad obedience with no riders, right? You know what a rider is like when, you have, when somebody has a contract, like a band comes into a big event and they have a contract, and there's a rider that says, and we need 5,000 green M&Ms, right? And a foot massage and whatever. You know, that's the riders, right? Sometimes we kind of try to do that with God, right? I'll do this. Here's my rider, right? Here's what I won't do. Here's what you can't call me to do. Here's the situations you can't play. Here's when, here's when, I, here's when I bail, right? That's not, that's not glad obedience and that's not surrender. Obedience, obedience and surrender, they, they hold hands. They go together. And if we're really surrendered before the Lord, control of our life, we're really honoring the lordship of the Lord Jesus in our life, and we'll obey. Let me ask you, is your life this morning being fueled by confidence in God's sovereign plan for your life? You know how to check? Are you surrendered? Do you have glad obedience in your life? Do you stay vulnerable before the Lord? Do you step out in obedience not knowing what it may cost you? That's where surrender happens. It's when you go, you know, you know, I'm not sure how my friend's going to respond if I share the gospel with them. I'm not sure if it'll make things weird, but I know this. God's just, he's called me to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. I make disciples. I share the gospel. So I don't know where this is going to go, but I just step out there. That's what it looks like. And you can apply that across the board to parenting, to marriage, to finances, to work. It's just, I just step out in obedience in these areas, not knowing what necessarily is going to happen. I just know I'm supposed to trust and obey. And God's got a plan to make me more like Jesus. And I'm going to trust him in that. Let's go on. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's an amazing picture, right? Fourth person in the fire. Who is that? What's that all about? Well, it's the fulfillment, first of all, of a prophecy in Isaiah. Let me read to you. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. 
couple verses later in Isaiah 43, 5 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Third principle here is that unshakable faith is fueled by confidence in God's presence. It's fueled by confidence in God's presence. You know, people debate, is this, the, is this what they call a pre-incarnate Christ, right? Before Jesus was born, is, is this a pre-incarnate Christ, a, a Christophany, they call it? And he says, or is it an angel? Is it, it, did God send an angel? And the text doesn't say, right? We can't really trust Nebuchadnezzar here. He's an idolater, right? He says, it looks like, Looks like one of the sons of God. Well, he thinks there's dozens of those guys, right? He, he doesn't really know. What, he just sees something unusual, right? Someone that looks divine. Now, I've always tended to believe it's a pre-incarnate Christ, and so that's, got what, I, that's what I go with. I, I can't give you chapter and verse on that, but that, I think we see that throughout the Old Testament at times. And there are a few times like that, like I said, where God shows up in unusual ways in the Old Testament, but I think it's likely happening here. But even if it's just an angel, let's just take that on for just a moment. The point is still the same. It doesn't really change how we interpret the text. The point of this whole scene is that God is with them, that he's actively involved in their life, that nothing is happening to them without God's notice, that God is there. And that whether he has sent an angel to minister to them and protect them or whether the, the, or whether the Son of God has stepped into that furnace, the point is... This has not escaped God's attention, and God is doing just like he said in Isaiah 43, 5. He's saying, fear not, for I am with you. And we can have greater confidence in God's presence today than even they could have then. We've got the New Testament, guys. I mean, we've got the New Covenant. We, 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 we've got, if you're a believer in Christ, we've got the Holy Spirit who has literally taken up residence in our heart and life, and we've got even more promises to look at in his word than they had. We've got, the, we've got the fact that Jesus has come and has told us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, right? And this story really does point us to Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus, his name shall be called, we celebrate it at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Contrast this story with Christ for a moment. Whereas Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into a fire and are protected by this fourth person, Jesus comes into this world and into, enters into our own, our fiery mess, taking our sin on the cross, takes the furnace of God's wrath for us. Rather than escaping unscathed like they do, Jesus dies. And they escape the unrighteous wrath of an evil king. And Jesus, our king, takes the righteous wrath of a holy God so that you and I will never have to experience God's just and righteous wrath. And then after dying for us, he rises again. And Jesus promises us that if we believe in him, we get the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God in our lives. Jesus even says, as I said earlier, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Emmanuel. He's come to save us. He's come to rescue us. And if we trust in him, if we turn to him, we can know the presence of God in our lives in every situation, every difficulty, in every temptation, in every trial, in every furnace. And you see this here in their lives, how it plays out. The first thing we notice about God's presence in their life, we see God protecting them. That's the obvious thing, right? They didn't even smell like smoke. I can't even imagine that, right? I can't even fry chicken wings in my house without three days when the smell's gone. Like, they don't even smell like smoke. Their, their clothes are not, they're, 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 they're not even singed in any way. Back at Christmas, I was um, working on my dad's, um, my dad's got one of those big green eggs, and we were at their house, and I was grilling something on it, and, you know, he, he, forget, he fails to remind me of things. I don't have one of these things, and that thing was running about 500 degrees, and I didn't think anything of it, right? Went over there, and I popped that thing open, right? Who knows what happened next, <laughs> right? And so all my left arm was singed right, right there, just like that. 
That's what I think about when, they, when these guys, they go to, to throw them into the fire and they, they, the, the flames just overtake them, right? I mean, and so when he's telling us, man, they didn't smell like smoke, their hair wasn't singed, their clothes weren't harmed, what he's trying to point out, man, they didn't just survive this, like they were supernaturally protected in an unusual, incredible way. God protected them. But every story doesn't end like that. I mean, we could tell lots of stories of people that went into the fire and they didn't come out. So the takeaway from this story, we know because we've read the rest of the Bible, is that some, we don't, we're not supposed to walk away from this and go, well, if I ever have to go into the furnace, you know, there'll be a fourth man in the fire that will uh, make sure I don't get burned. Sometimes the fourth man comforts you in death. God's protection is bigger than this. But it's not smaller than this. We have to understand. Sometimes God does supernaturally do things that we can't explain like he did here. Let me read to you from Hebrews 11. I think this will help get what I'm talking about. Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. This is the hall of faith, right? The big chapter on faith. This person believed God in this. This person believed God in this. Noah and Abraham, all the greats, right? It's the hall of fame. It's the hall of fame of the Old Testament here. Hebrews chapter 11 says... He gets towards the end of this list of incredible Hall of Fame characters in the Bible and their faith. And he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. Listen to this one. Stopped the mouths of lions. That's a spoiler alert. That's coming in a few weeks. Verse 34, quench the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. He's given this, this picture of, man, there's these people that walked by faith and God gave them unusual protection and worked in a powerful way because God was with them in a way that you can't possibly explain. And they did incredible things. These are giants. And then he says in verse 36, the ones that no, nobody memorizes this, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Both groups were in the hall of faith. Both groups lived lives of incredible, unshakable faith. God is with both groups. One group stopping the mouths of lions, quenching fire, conquering kingdoms. The other group sawn in half and dead. And he says, they're on the same list. God's with both. God's blessing both. God's working in the lives of both. And in this life, you may experience both extremes to one degree or another. The point is, no matter what you face, God is with you, and you will, even, you, you will even triumph in life because God, because of God, or you will triumph in death because of God, right? Either way, God is with us. His presence is with us, and he will protect you, ultimately, believer. He ultimately does promise to protect our eternity, and our soul can't be touched. This life is but a vapor, we can't really understand it from God's perspective. Eternity, though, is forever, and that can't be touched. God protects us. And in this life, nothing happens to the believer that, where God's not there. And while we experience trouble, while we experience pain, I want you to possibly imagine just for a moment what God may have protected you from that you don't even know about. How many furnaces have you avoided that you didn't even know 
about. So you can have unshakable faith in trials and temptations because you can know at all times, if you're a follower of Christ, he is with you. As surely as he died on the cross, as surely as he's risen from the dead, he's with you. He's with you. These promises all hinge together. As it says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or abandon you. How might our lives be different if we really let that sink into our hearts this morning? How much bolder might we be? How much more courageous with our faith and our decisions and with our stand for Christ if we understood that he, I mean, if we really let it sink into our heart that he is with us. A few months ago, Cannon had his uh, first grade field trip and I signed up and went as a chaperone and we went to the History Museum, right? And so we got to see the original Florida man and um, I don't know if you've met him, but if you go down to the downtown Florida Museum, you will meet, you'll, they'll have a whole little show and show you what I term the original Florida man, right? And so he's, he used to capture alligators and make them fight and stuff. For my, you know, I'm like, that was, that was Florida man 150 years ago. But, and so we go and we go and we get to see all this stuff and, and it's, it's a great trip. And man, the, the kids were so well behaved. I was a shock, man, this is a great class, right? But I noticed something. We get on the bus and there's, I don't know how many kids on this bus, first graders over here at the school. But I look around and there's, I'm not the only chaperone. In fact, there's lots of chaperones. They, they didn't just pile them all on the bus and send them over there and just expect everything to go okay, right? I, I wouldn't do that, right? With my first grader, you wouldn't do that with your first grader and, and the school system's not gonna do that either, right? They, they've got people there with them. Because, and, and if my kids go somewhere like that, I kind of know what they're ready for and what they're not ready for. And, and so I'm gonna, there's certain things that they're just not gonna do without, without me or Christy one being there, just depending on what it is. It's a judgment call. That's just good parenting. Do we really think that God would ever abandon his children? Do we really think that there's any situation in this life that God would look at and say, you know what? You can handle this one on your own, right? We can't tie our shoes on our own, right? We, we, God knows us. He knows our frame, as the Bible says. He knows that we're but dust, right? We're dust with brains and a soul. God is with us, and there's no situation where your father abandons you. Where God the Father abandons you, where your elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, your king, abandons you. No, he's given you his very spirit. And if you know God is with you, that should enable you to stand on firm ground in the midst of temptation and trials. We can't really ask for anything better than the presence of God. When we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to give in, when we're tired, when we're lonely, when we're overwhelmed, when we're afraid... God's with us. And it's one thing to have that truth in our head and to know it because it's written on a page in our Bible. It's another to let it grip our heart and steer our life and affect how we behave because we don't just think, we believe it. And so, believer this morning, as you remember the most difficult, scary, and painful times of your Christian life, I want you to think about it in this context and do not forget this. <laughs> he was there. God was there. You mean, he was there. He did not abandon you in that moment. No matter what, he never abandoned you. He will not abandon you and you're still standing today because he did not abandon you. Let that sink into your heart that God is with us. And you know, he's always with us. Here's the issue, though. Sometimes we just don't recognize 
recognize him until we're in the fire. Sometimes it takes those situations for us to really begin to notice and recognize the presence of God and his activity in our life. Sometimes it's when we're on the other side of that and we're looking back in hindsight and we see what God protected us from and we see what God steered us through and we see what God strengthened us in. We see how he, he refined our faith. And sometimes it's years. Sometimes it's eternity. But he's always there. And he's with you today. You have the, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you have the presence of God in your life in a new covenant way that's incredible. He has taken up residence in you if you've placed your faith in him. Let me ask you this morning, have you placed your faith in the one who came to rescue and to deliver you from your sins? The one that stepped before the furnace of God's holy wrath to save and rescue you and to deliver you from your sin, from your shame, from your guilt before God? That's the most important thing we can urge before you today. If you're not a follower of Christ, that's the one decision that we all have to decide. What are we going to do with Jesus? Do you know what you've done with Christ? Have you, have you trusted him? Have you surrendered your life before him? Have you turned from your sin to him in faith? If you're a believer this morning, let's, make a, let's aim this morning to... To live lives of unshakable faith. Let's, let's, rec let's, let's recognize this morning that there are challenges that we face and will face. And you're always either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or headed to a trial. Do you know that? That's just destination believer, right? You're in a temptation, you're, 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 you've just come through a temptation, or there's one up the road, right? It, 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 that's just the Christian life. And so let's recognize this morning that those challenges are there. But we can have confidence this morning. We can, we can have unshakable faith if we have confidence this morning in God's sovereign plan and God's presence with us. Let's pray.